you know, we could be your existential listener. Will you be my existential listener? Sounds like a lyric to a Prince tune. That's actually quite cool. Will you be my existential listener? Oh! <laughs> you got to put some drums under that. <laughs> Game blouses. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast in Ring RC. I'm Misa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am okay, thanks, man. Pacers lost to the Mavs last night. But Luca scored a triple-double, so... Uh, when does he not? I'm always conflicted when like, the Pacers play the Mavs, because obviously, you know, I want, I want my son to do well. My six-foot-seven Slovenian son. The Mavs don't have tools this year, though, apart from him. Well, Porzingis did all right. But anyway, yeah. yeah. It could have been worse. could have been the Nets. <laughs> That's true. They got done, though. Yeah, exactly. Big three debut, and uh, they got torched by Colin Sexton. <laughs> <laughs> I just find that quite funny. I, I don't know. It is quite funny. Let's get real. Yeah, yeah. It's Colin funny. Sexton drained a three in, I think it was the second overtime, where he just danced on, on KD, <laughs> and then just threw up a three. It was like, I love it. I lo- but I love the NBA. Anyone can get it. Any night, anyone I, can get yeah. it. I think it was the World Wide Wob posted a tweet saying something like, Colin Sexton just torched $114 million in like a Yeah. <laughs> it's about scene in like, uh, was it Dark Knight when Joker just burns all the money? Yeah, burns the money, yeah. yeah. Burn it all. Colin Sexton energy. Uh, how are you? Uh, good, thanks. Good, good, good. Um, warmest toast. Got my warm fleece warmest on. Warmest toast. Toast yeah. doesn't stay warm for very long though. You do know this. Well, I don't stay warm. No, it doesn't long. hold its own heat. That's what my takes are so Are you saying your bread? Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm po- what is toast but posh bread? I'm basically posh bread. I don't know if toast is posh. Well, it is at a certain level. Well, it depends on the bread, surely. Well, no, but the concept of it, the concept of like, like treated bread. Oh, come on, man. That's, that is quite posh as a concept. I don't know, man. I think that's a leap. Give me that. Give me that at least. You're saying toast is elite. Yeah, I think it is elite. It is. Oh, toast. I'm, I'm having some toast. I'm having some toast. Yeah, like toast is quite a posh thing. The concept of it, the concept of the preparation, I think it's quite a posh concept. Oh God, have we got to look at the culture war? Yes, yes, yes. Let them, let them come. Gonna fall out. Is this going to be the thing that brings this down? Toast. <laughs> Had to be something. Because it's also how people like their toast as well. There's a whole thing how they like it. But surely it depends on the bread, whether it's posh or not. But it's such a hassle. You know what it is? It's because actually working from home this often, you realise actually over time that toast is a real hassle. I find what? it a real hassle. I find it a hassle. What are you talking about? Wow, the cultural. Here we go. This is going to, they're going to go I've wild. I never thought I would hear you say toast is, that is, do you know what? That is, those are the words of a man who has never done a day's manual labor in his life. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a white collar statement than toast is a real hassle? It's a real hassle, actually. It's God, a real hassle. Tell you to work in the city. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to fall out with you about this. Just I mean, I might. I just, I can't do it right now. We've got a podcast to do and I'm in a rush. Okay. So um, yep. moving on to actual real things. I hope everyone's doing okay, safe and well, enjoying the Bernie Sanders memes. Amazing. So wholesome. Do you know what I love about this? You know, like sometimes when people get memed and if you step back from it, you think, oh, this is actually probably causing them a bit of distress being memed that hard. Yeah. 
Bernie's loving it. He's loving it. Because he's beloved. Bernie he's is beloved, loving right? it. I'm here again asking you to meme me. He is absolutely beloved, though. That's the thing about Bernie Sanders. The energy of that man. The energy. You could, you could Photoshop it. I, I nearly Photoshopped it onto the Chelsea bench. <laughs> <laughs> what a sub he would have been, to be honest. Well, no. I mean, I don't think his legs are still there. Yeah, it's, but it's a half-time team talk. Imagine old. him giving a half-time team talk. Can you imagine the, uh, the ball movement of a Chelsea side? Like, if Bernie Sanders was a football manager, the ball movement would be... It'd be I'm like... Really. Uh, It'd be like the Spurs. 2014, the 2014 team. Yeah. Because yeah. think about it. His whole thing is like socialism, right? So it's just like everyone shares the ball. Uh, some admin quick. Uh, I had a piece go up on the ringer this week about Mesut Ozil. Because Great pieces too. Check it out. What, thanks. Because obviously what the world needed was another Mesut Ozil piece. So there you are. Much like the Stadios, the piece you never asked for, but you got. Exactly. So um, that's up on the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Uh, right, his house went up on Wednesday. Um, I joined Righty this week. We talked about the Premier League, kind of being in balance. Football fatigue, mm. which there is. I mean, it's really overwhelming at the moment. We also talked about Mesut Ozil a little bit. Mm. And Flowers went to John Stones and Wayne Rooney. Double Flowers this week. So that's up on the Ringer FC feed. Obviously, if you listen on a podcast app that allows you to rate and review, it'd be very kind if you could do so. All right, well, we're going to open up the mailbag and talk about some football after this. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. We've got some questions that we can use to talk about the other games. But quickly, should we start off with the uh, Supercopa? Yeah, let's do it. Juventus winning the Supercopa, beating Napoli 2-0 in the game of two ex-Arsenal goalkeepers. Ospina in one goal, Chesney in the other. Pirlo's first trophy as Juventus manager. Props, because Napoli have been causing teams all kinds of problems recently. They've been on a bit of a tear. They had that huge win at the weekend over Fiorentina. Yeah. Um, Juve bouncing back from the Derby d'Italia defeat to Inter. There was one chance, I think, from Lozano that Chesney made an amazing save from that he probably should have buried. And I think that switched the game. That changed the game, basically. Lozano's been, been coming into form as well, so I'd be disappointed. Yeah, the other pivotal moment was um, Insigne's penalty miss. And it's strange because Insigne, he showed up in the Cups, actually, for Napoli as mm -hmm. well. I mean, that, I mean, they've won a couple of trophies with him there. 
Um, and the Supercop is a funny tournament in Italy as it is in Spain. It's like a temperature check and it's, it's a thing that clubs really need. It's, it's like the most important of the trophies that are not important, if that makes sense. It's a real boost, yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo scored, which well, no one really knows whether he's got the record or not anymore of, of the most goals in history. He, does, he doesn't, though. Do you know why he doesn't as well? Because of the Pele thing. We talked about this, though. We it's the way, about this also, but here's the other thing. The way that he accumulates goals, if Cristiano Ronaldo had scored the amount of goals that Pele had got, you know that he would count every single one of them. True. So by that logic, those, he's, he's hundreds of goals from the record and no one's going to get close to it. If it's just about accumulation, then Pele is the guy. And someone made a very good point. Someone said, actually, a lot of those exhibition games that Pele played in, they were against elite teams. Mm. It's just they were absolutely, you know, sending Santos out to destroy their knees playing all these games. But they weren't, you know, they weren't all clown opposition. They were some very good teams they were playing against. So, you know. The first half was pretty poor from Juve. Second half, they were much better. And I think they deserved it overall. I have a question for you. Quiz question. Yep, yep. Can you name the eight players who have won more trophies during their career than Cristiano Ronaldo. Danny Alves. He's won the most in history, yes. Maxwell. Yes. Iniesta. Yes. Xavi. No. Equal. Sergio Ramos. No. Um, Mr. Big One. Stefano. Nope. Messi. Messi. You've got four more. Okay, four more. You've got the top four. Busquets. Nope. Um, Ryan Giggs. Yes. Um, Which is frankly wild if you think about it. Yeah, it's just, it's just as, as he stretched his career so far and he was just always in the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Scholes. Nope. Victor Valdez. No. Should I give you the other three? Yeah, please. Vito Bayer. Oh, amazing. Okay, Vito Bayer. Yeah. Jared Piquet. Ah, uh, because he lasted, he, he started his career earlier, yeah. And who was the third? Kenny Dalglish. Love it. Oh, that's not bad. I did, I did okay. I did okay. You did all right. did okay. Oh, that's quite, I don't, I don't feel bad, actually. I don't feel bad about that. Cristiano Ronaldo is now level with Xavi. Level with Xavi. You know what it was? It was because I, I knew those first few and I knew that Maxwell was an outlier for a lot of people. But I also was like, how far back does the Barca thing go? I don't mm. actually buy a Dalgleish and who was the one I missed out. No shame in that. Yeah, that's okay. Bad. Juve's first trophy under Pirlo. Pirlo's first trophy as a manager. Props to Pirlo. They need to improve in Serie A for sure, but I yeah, think yeah. that could be a, be a very important victory. Other results of note quickly by Leverkusen return to winning ways beating Borussia Dortmund. Dortmund again just wasted a load of chances and they've dropped five points in the last two games because of poor finishing. But Musa Diaby just absolutely torched Dortmund all game. Poor Mats Hummels in that first half. Reminded me a little bit of like, do you remember when Kylian Mbappe ran at Vincent Company? <laughs> that time. Yeah, so I remember, I remember yeah. I remember. Was like, where is he, where is he, where is he, where is he, where is he? There was a lot of that going on. And he set up Florian Wirtz's goal. Wirtz is a player to watch as well. Wirtz is like coming to He's very, very young. He scored the winner. Uh, Leipzig beat Union 1-0 at home. It's the Russian derby on Friday, Gladbach Dortmund. So that will be probably the game of the weekend in the Bundesliga, I think. Although I think Freiburg, I would also say Freiburg Stuttgart will be one to watch for sure. Uh, quick shout out for the Copa del Rey. Yeah. 
Real Madrid are in trouble. Alcoyano beat Real Madrid 2-1 in the Copa del Rey. And the reason this game was so big, actually, is the players that Real brought off the bench. You could see that this is what made that such an impressive thing. We saw Atleti lose in the Copa um, del Rey earlier, but this defeat was, I think, worse. So Real Madrid brought on Aiden Hazard, Tony Kroos, Karim Benzema, and Marco Asensio. They brought them on. Mm-hmm. And Isco started. Like, so by the end of the game, they had some like serious heavyweights on that pitch. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, though, they started with a front three of Vinicius, Mariano, and Vasquez, which isn't against a third-tier side. Isco, Casemiro, and Valverde in midfield as a three, they should be out of sight. The only thing that I would say is that the pitch was dreadful. The pitch cut up so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't look fun. One of the reasons I stopped watching, I, there was the start of sync rail. There's a moment when Vinicius gets the ball, plays it to Marcelo. Marcelo plays this like, hammers this pass, but a return pass. Mm. And then he kind of tumbles after brief contact, almost, I think, partly out of embarrassment because the pass was so terrible. And he lies there for a bit and there's like no penalty. And I think it was just like, Marcelo can get up now. Like, not everyone saw that pass. It's okay. But the game that they looked, they looked out of sync rail. Alcayano had a player sent off. Ramon Lopez was sent off in extra time. And then five minutes later, they took the lead. Uh, and it was actually a really well-worked goal. Beautiful goal. Uh, old school, dare I say, Meza Erzat-style counter. Oh, stop it. Stop Sorry. It. Why? Why you got to do that to me? Sorry. There were like, I think, two major missed tackles in the build-up as well, the goal. Mm. And it was, it was funny because... The beauty of this result was that all the Real players and Zidane all looked suitably disappointed, which is nice because it wasn't like they were just mugging this game off. I think they wanted to win it, but the, the cup will throw up these surprises because these teams come out, they're used to those pitches, they're used to environments. And again, they look forward, that is the day on their calendar they look forward to the most. Yeah, again, just another shame that like the stadium couldn't be full. Yeah, very true. Okay, let's maybe take a quick break and then we'll do the other games with the mailbag. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear. Especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Okay, man, let's start with Manchester United being Fulham 2-1 after going a goal down to a lovely Adam Ola Luckman goal, by the way. Yeah. Uh, we have a couple of questions. One from Shamoon Havez. Pogba bossing the game for Manchester United. More passes, more tackles, interceptions and possession gained than any other player on the pitch. Also contested more duels and scored the winning goal. Another question from Drew Barr. What would have to happen for Pogba to stay at United? Emily Oram said statement goal, <laughs> which I think was quite funny. Yeah, that I like that. No, that's, it was, it was really, wasn't it? It was. Mm-hmm. 
So I think this is one of those games that Manchester United will just, they have to win if they want to be serious. Not a lot of teams in the Premier League want to be serious at the moment, apart from seemingly Manchester City. Yeah, big win. This is the kind of game that Manchester United lost in the old days. This is much improved Fulham as well. Yes, even in the course of the last couple of months, a much improved Fulham. So huge win for United. For Pogba, United are becoming the team best suited for his talents, just at the point where he looks like he might leave. So many variables here. If Pogba had a different agent, well, you know, are we having this conversation? A point that Carl Anker made, he did a great thread on Twitter about this, and I want to like throw this to, this is for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as well, as just real praise there. The man management of Paul Pogba has been superb since the Mino Raiola, you know, blow up, call out, whatever you call that, that behavior of, of Raiola's, which is, mm-hmm. is, is very counterproductive. I don't, I don't see that's productive for an agent to that way. If you're conducting negotiations in private with a football club, I don't see the value of what Raiola did. And I know that basically agents often do the bidding of the player. I don't know if Pogba has as much control over Raiola as we think he does, only because if you look at the fact that like Raiola fell out with Lukaku and they changed agent, I, I think Raiola is actually much more of a law unto himself than we realise, I think. I think mm. he's a bit more of a law unto himself. It's to Pogba's credit that he's played so well, but that's the style he likes playing where he's not the main, where he's not the alpha. He can kind of create in peace. It's weird because Bruno Fernandes is the kind of alpha who tries everything. And, and Solskjaer goes, I love that. I love that he tries. I love that he's always trying things, that he loses the ball. I encourage him to do that. And Pogba provides almost a bit more rhythm to the team. He's a strange player because he has all the tricks, but they're not necessarily the best part of his game, if that makes sense. Like the best part of his game is regulation and flow and all the rest of it. Yeah, there were a couple of really sloppy moments in the first half as well from him, I thought, where yeah, there was one pass that he played to Edison Cavani and it was, it was clear just before he, it was like he almost released it a little bit too late because it was clear that Cavani had shifted his balance beforehand. Right. And just a couple of other wayward clips that were just a bit like, he looked a bit bored. Right. But then he turns it on. And I think this is the thing with Pogba. It's like, we've said this, I've lost count how many times we've said this, but in order to get the absolute best out of him, you're going to have to put up with some moments like that, I think, because that's just the kind of player he is. And I to don't be honest with you as that's well. Not, that's not necessarily a criticism. It's just that that's how it is. You know, I mean, he's not like, a de- he's not a developing talent anymore. You know, he's an ex- vastly experienced player in the kind of prime years of his career. I think wherever he goes next, and if it is somewhere like Real, I wonder if there'll be the same process of adjustment he had at United where it takes like, you know, a bit longer than he would imagine to get him playing his best. I do think that Real need a player like that, actually. I think they need a player like that because they need someone that can just initiate. But I think he'll have, wherever he goes next, I think he will have these kinds of disappointing faces. I can't see a Real Madrid midfield of Tony Kroos and Paul Pogba getting on too well, to be honest. I don't like the look of it. I don't like that. Well, that's what I mean. I think that, I think it'll take a couple of years before Pogba starts firing consistently in a setup like that. I don't, to be honest with you, Ryan, I don't think there's actually a much better fit for him at the moment than where he is. I think he should stay. I think personally. so. I think if United bring in the players they clearly want to, I think it becomes easier for him and the team becomes set up for him. If they bring in a right winger, a defensive midfielder, which is what they kind of need and they've been looking for, asking for, 
I think it changes everything for that club. He was great in moments against Fulham. He wasn't so great in others, but I think obviously the winner was such a good goal. Well, he said this, he said, it's not my best foot, you know, my left foot. He does, you never know, but he scored that one. The last time he scored from outside the box his left foot was the one in the World Cup final, I think, mm. against Croatia, where it was like, mm. oh, I tried it with my right foot. Mm, didn't work. Oh, I've got a left. Let's see how this works out. And then just absolutely just floated a beauty. And the same with this. Like there's no, there are a few players, we've said this so many times, more extravagantly gifted in modern football history than Paul Pogba. Mm. Just has an unbelievable amount of tools. I want to ask you about another player. We had a question from Ninad Barbadika who said, is Donny van der Beek Van Mata 2.0 in the making? By which I mean, is he eventually going to be a player that United just start using out wide because Bruno never stops playing? No, I don't think he is. I think, if I'm going to be fair to Solskjaer here, and the way that Solskjaer has adapted to incorporate players over time, I think he'll be a player that gets many more games when Solskjaer tries shifting formations around again. I think that Solskjaer is building a team on the fly. If you look at how he used Jesse Lingard, for example, in an unfamiliar position as a false nine, used him there and discarded him. That wasn't he was trying to be tactically clever. It's because he was trying to basically see how do I use players in unfamiliar positions to get the best out of them. And I think that he's got Van der Beek very much in mind, but we'll use him in a different system, mm. I think. I, th- I think he'll find a place for him, but it'll be in a different system. I think it's a weird one, Donny van der Beek, because I, I, I mean, I don't want to sound negative here because you can't really argue with what Solskjaer's doing at the moment because they're top of the league. Right, yeah. So there's this, but there's this weird thing, I think, where with United is that they're top of the league, but you can obviously see some massive improvements that could be done as well. It's a yeah. really weird... It's so weird. It's, it's so weird. Pretty, pretty cool position to be in if you think about it. Yeah. But the Donny van der Beek thing is something that stresses me out a little bit. And I think it's maybe because I had a real soft spot for that Ajax side. And if you think about the moves that all of them have made, it's so, not damning, but I think it's such a shame that you think the, the one that has worked out the most is probably Frankie de Jong. And that's not great. That's scary. De Ligt, he's never absolutely locked down his spot. He's lost his aura as well, to be honest. Van der Beek is basically a bench player. He, and this is someone who's tipped up to go and play for Real Madrid. And obviously and Frankie... And would solve a lot of problems if he was in that midfield right now. Yeah, right? and obviously if, if Frankie at Barcelona, who has yet to be fully given the keys and go. It's just a shame to see a, a core group of young players who have had their development or, or progress halted. And that, that's not necessarily a criticism of Solskjaer. It's just um, one of those things about world football. What's a five-year contract? You don't sign off on that. Because like, Solskjaer will have a lot of men. He will have a lot of input into transfers. You don't bring a player like that into a club, the five-year contract, if you don't have a plan. Mm. Maybe he's Pogba's replacement. No, that's a good shout, I think. Yeah. So if Van der Beek is Pogba's replacement, then actually United become much more efficient in the transition and lots of little gaps are filled and they're not as flamboyant, but they could mm. be much more effective. Mm. You get Van der Beek and a really good DM, because that's the thing, Van der Beek keeps the engine running and allows Fernandez to be the chaos. You've got a really impressive midfield. Can you imagine if United had got Thomas Partey? Terrifying. Him and Van der Beek would have been an amazing two. Absolutely amazing. Um, we had this question from Matt Celentano who said, what's happened to Kai Havertz? I remember you calling him a generational talent, but he looks a shadow of his Leverkusen self now. His talent is clear, but was Chelsea the wrong move for his development? How does Frank or not Frank get the best out of him? 
Now, we expressed concerns about fit. You did, yeah. You were really vocal. I mean, I, I, had, I had some concerns, but you've watched much more of him than I have. And even I watched him and thought, I don't like that move. I never liked this move. There have been purple patches for this Chelsea side since, you know, this season, because there were a couple of moments earlier on in the season where we were like, ah, oh, these, these look good. Like, they've kind of figured it out. I think that is actually more down to just pure talent as opposed to any kind of ingenuity from Frank Lampard. Mm. Some Chelsea fans I know who spoke to are really concerned about what they're seeing at Chelsea. And whilst, we, whilst we've said before, like, I think we actually have praised Frank Lampard at some points for like seemingly yeah. doing quite a good job. But I yeah, think yeah, yeah. that overall, it, there were always concerns there about Frank in terms of a, how to manage all of these pieces and get the best out of them because he's clearly got favourites. And I don't think the favourites are as good as the players that he could potentially get the best out of if he actually worked. Agreed. Worked Agreed. them right. Yeah. There are a number of transfers that just happened way too early in a player's career. People are making the moves that they should be making at 26, at 20 now. And I just don't really like it. I actually wonder whether the signings that happened in the summer, I wonder whether he was fully on board with because I think that his... You saw it at the beginning of his, of his first season at Chelsea. He threw the youngsters straight in and he was yeah. very pro-Chelsea Academy graduates. And I wonder whether he's pushed back on that because he feels like that's a direct contradiction to what he was trying to do. And also, if you think about it from a psychological point of view, sorry, I'm kind of ranting a bit here. No, I'm, but, I'm, listening, I'm, 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 I'm actually formulating a point, Ryan. But sticking with Academy graduates buys you so much time. We saw how much goodwill that Chelsea squad got last season, how much goodwill Frank Lampard got last season. Because when there's so clearly a plan in place in terms of or, or where your squad is so clearly developing, but that you can see the potential there and they're kind of, it's like with Arsenal at the moment with Bukayo Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe, the kind of like hail end FC stuff that's coming out. Mm. The morale around everything is, is, a, is genuinely a lot more positive. I'm going to throw out a hot take here. Does it sound like you? Frank Lampard's success, if you look at his successes at Chelsea, the most impressive things he's done is with players whose kind of journey he understands. The academy players, who understands being thrown as an academy player into a big team and flourishing better than Frank Lampard? Almost no one in English football. That is the story of his career. Thrown in at West Ham, all those amazing talents. Thrown in at Chelsea, all those amazing talents. Having to see off all these world-class fielders. Who is the one player under Frank Lampard who stands out beyond anyone else in terms of development and faith in them? Makes a mount. Exactly. Mason Mount is the most Frank Lampard player. So I think that he manages and even kind of governs in his own image. And his style of like calling players out, chewing players out in public, that is something that he liked and responded to. There was a comment that he made under Ranieri when he mentioned, I think he said, I can't find the quote now, but he mentioned how he wasn't fully on his game under Ranieri and Mourinho turned up. So he's someone that has responded very well. So he coaches in the style how do I say this? I don't think Frank Lampard tailors his management and even more his man management. I think he is actually much more of a one-size-fits-all manager than I gave him credit. And if you look at Chelsea now, that analysis feels to me that makes sense because when you've got players like Kai Havertz who were for certain periods outstanding last season in the Bundesliga and in the Champions League who are now not delivering, in the Premier League, at a certain point, you've got to stop saying it's the rougher time in the Premier League and going, why are these elite players not performing to a level we know they can? 
why are the patterns not being formed? Well, maybe that person that's managing them has a one size fits all approach. And I think that is what ultimately is going to be his downfall. Because ultimately you should get more out of the pieces you have at your disposal. The Hudson O'Doy thing, I talk about this a lot, but that is a real problem. I don't know whose choice it was to keep him there, but he'd be having a hell of a lot more fun at Bayern. Yeah. And he'd, would. Be a, he'd be getting a hell of a lot more games as well. And they could really do with a player like that, actually. As well. Absolutely. They knew what they were doing. Like they don't, Bayern are not clowns. They don't come after, they came hard after him for a reason because that's exactly what they needed in their front three. Well, let's switch to Leicester though, because Leicester beat Chelsea 2-0. We had this question from Ravinda Clare. Leicester are quietly going about their business. Are Leicester going to do another dot, 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 Leicester? I love that question. <laughs> Honest answer, I don't know. I have no, if, you, if someone said, you have to give me a name, who will win the league this season in the Premier League? I have no idea. And I genuinely yeah, don't, yeah, and I wouldn't I really know. call it. I mean, the only, currently, based on what's going on at the moment, I would say that the most ominous look like Manchester City. Yeah. And we'll come on to Manchester City in a little bit because we've got a question about them as well. But other than that, I really have no idea. And, and, and I wouldn't even guarantee Manchester City because the, the thing is, it's like, we, I think we were talking about this yesterday. Clubs are one or two postponements and having a fixture list backlog away from yeah. either winning or losing yeah. three or four games on the bounce kind of thing. It's, it's, it's so, it's, it hangs so delicately in the balance. And that's a fair answer because my gut reaction to the question would have been like, oh, Leicester can't do it, not because they're not good enough, but because of squad depth. But then I step back and go, hang on a minute. Spurs have got squad depth and they had that COVID outbreak and that changed everything. Mm. But Celso and Lamella getting COVID. And, you know, you look at like um, Solskjaer talking about Pogba having COVID and the effect that COVID had on Alassane Maximan and Acelis over at Newcastle. They didn't just get, you know, they didn't just get like a, you know, a heavy, a heavy few days of fatigue and oh, it, it lasted a, a long time. Yeah. A number vomiting, of players had it. Vomiting, ulcers, extreme fatigue. Like this is such a brutal, uncertain season in that sense that all bets are off really. Mm. All bets are off. Leicester could do it. Yeah, they could do it. And um, quickly, one more thing on Chelsea. Uh, we had one from Rohit Malhotra who said, which German coach would be the best fit for Chelsea? Uh, and they followed up saying, not trying to lead the witness slash podcast, but is Ralph Rangnick a milder German Marcelo Bielsa? Uh, no, they're very different characters, I think. But I think Rangnick wouldn't be a wild shout for Chelsea. I don't think that he would get the full control that he wants in terms of setup. I think Chelsea, I think... Well, that's that's why I would, I would disagree with it. I think because yeah. he wants, yeah, the full project. If Rangnick was going to go to the Premier League, I think in terms of a sporting director role, mm. I could weirdly see him going to Manchester United. Wow. And you know, it's funny, Ryan, it's not that outlandish a shout because someone at United really knows what they're doing. Someone really knows what they're doing. The Van der Beek signing, I still think is an outstanding signing. I still think he's going to be great for United. Someone at United, I mean, the Bruno Fernandes thing was an yeah, unbelievable. Too. Someone saw that. Like, I don't know. I'm really, there is, it's a big organization, you know, like all huge organizations with that amount of resources will inevitably have someone in there somewhere who knows what they're doing. Yeah. They keep the empire afloat and he's one of them. Uh, well, I, I think, yeah. I think, uh, I think Tuckle to Chelsea would be hilarious. <laughs> I would, I would, I just think it'd be really fun. I think, I think it would go unbelievably well for a while. And I think there would be some, there would be some, uh, let's just say there would be some moments. 
I would love to see it though. I'd love to see it. Tom Selleck, eyebrow wiggle gif. That's big eyebrow energy. All right, man, let's quickly talk about the Man City Villa game. Manchester City winning 2-0. Bernardo Silva's goal. Michael Swenson said, can you please explain the offside rule to me in the light of the Manchester City versus Villa match? Genuine question. I'm not a salty fan. In my opinion, if Rodri is onside, he's in front of Mings and Mings doesn't chest it down. It's only his offside position that makes Mings do so. So advantage, question mark. This is a really, really weird one because technically, due to the law, as soon as Mings chests the ball down, it ends the previous phase of play and begins a new one and therefore Rodri can come from wherever he wants. He was interfering with play though. Because Mings this, knows he's there. Mings knows he's there. This is an ambiguity in the law yeah. that doesn't really allow for this kind of scenario. In my opinion, it should be offside. In my opinion too, yeah. There you go. Because he's interfering. He's interfering, in my opinion. Yeah. However, in terms of like, that's, that's the thing that you can, the definition or the wording in the law allows yeah. a referee to give that onside. Absolutely. But I've had issues with the interfering with play rule for a long time, Ryan. Because you've had moments where a guy will break on the left, right? Yeah, but sorry to cut in, but the interfering yeah. with play thing, this is what I'm saying, like by the letter of the law, mm. it stops as soon as the ball touches Mings. We know it's, it doesn't make any sense, but to be, in, in my opinion, it's like if you are anywhere near the play in an offside position and you create an advantage from being in that, you should be offside. I agree. People are, you know, players are testing the boundaries. They are being clever, but it looked... Look, to me, when I, when I, I saw, yeah, that, that's an offside goal. <laughs> He's clearly interfering, like, because you'll know, you'll know there's a presence coming in behind. I don't know. I, I have, I'm, not, I'm not saying that fan is being salty. No, not at all. I think it's a very, very frustrating very and, confuse, and confusing law. Yeah. And I think, again, something that they need to clear up because that has to be a continuation of play. Like, purely hitting an opposition player or touching an opposition player, it can't end a phase of play. It just can't do it. Because and that's like, frustrating for, for Villa. Yeah. This isn't FIFA, man. What yeah. happens isn't being determined by code. Not every situation like that is the same and you have to fix it. I have a lot of sympathy for Villa because that was a decisive goal. The game was in the balance. Yeah, it wasn't a good one. But, you know, City keep, the, keep their run going, put pressure on Manchester United at the top. Let's have another question about Manchester City. Well, a couple of questions. One from Jacob Rude. When do we start talking about Ruben Diaz's transformation of City's defence like we did Van Dijk with Liverpool? That's a good shout. Oh, okay. And also this one from Sincletica. What is the most important aspect of Man City's revitalised form? I actually think that first question leads on to the answer to the second, in my opinion. I think the rediscovery of form of, from John Stones is a massive part of that, I think. Um, Brighty talked about that in quite a bit of depth on Brighty's house. And yeah, Ruben Diaz being a, a genuinely impressive signing for Manchester City. Do you remember when he signed, we said that Manchester City tends to have a blind spot with centre signing centre-backs. Yeah. They spent a lot yeah. of money on really, not poor centre-backs, but centre-backs that have underwhelmed. Um, this time they seem to have stumbled upon a partnership that actually is working pretty well at the moment. And I think that having Emmerich Laporte as a backup is kind of good because for a while he was their best centre-back, I thought. Yeah. Like you haven't seen Manchester City go full lol on defending for a while. No. And it makes Rodri's job easier as well. It allows it him to be the player he is. Yeah. I think yeah. also maybe the Rodri-Gundogan partnership has started to really gel. And maybe just this false nine experiment that's going on. So I think that's probably the main reason. Yep. Yep. 
kingdom of the planet of the apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Caroline Stevko, shouts to Caroline. She says, which member, we're going, we're coming back to Germany now. Which member of the Bayern defense will Manuel Neuer be excommunicating first? I have a, I have an actual answer to this. Ooh. I think he's already semi-excommunicated David Alaba. I agree with you. I think it's David Alaba. Also, that is an extraordinary piece of business for Real Madrid. That is a really nice sign. I mean, it's, looking like, it's looking so likely that Juan Laporta has uh, come out and said that he imagines that David, David Alaba will go to Real Madrid, which makes me think that Ramos is gone. <gasps> there's a power struggle there, isn't there? Well, there's always a power struggle somewhere. Right? I think Ramos is just bored. What more can he do? Like if you're Sergio Ramos and you get to this point of your career, what more? What more? What's the point? I know that sounds. I know that sounds dreadful. It's not. It's like, not dreadful. Ryan, he's run out of skin for Champions League tattoos. That is how much of a baller he is. I was rewatching uh, the Champions League final from was it 2017 when they beat and Ramos got someone a red card then as well. I think. Yeah, of course he, he did. I mean, he just he just did. He's been you know, he's been on smoke for so long. So like, who who did he excommunicate first? Back to the question. I think you're right. I think it's Alaba. Yeah, but Bayern have a systemic problem. It's not just the central defense; it's the intensity throughout the team. You know, because the about Bayern is what makes them so impressive is what they do as a unit. And when parts of the unit aren't firing, they've all dipped a little bit. Not all of them, but most of them have dipped a little bit in intensity. And cumulatively, the rest of the league has seen that and had a go at them. Have been disrespectful, which is mm. why Lewandowski has been so extraordinary because Lewandowski is the one guy that never ever loses his intensity. Oh, although he had a bit of a he had a bit of a wobble on on Wednesday with the finishing, there was just many uh, there was many Lewandowski groans of anguish. Ah. Yeah, he never loses intensity. I'll say that much. He scored a penalty and he's he's on twenty two league goals for the season, which is ten ahead of the two. Well, ten ahead of Hall and ten ahead of Vekost about Vekost. But all smiles for Bayern in a way because four points clear at the top and they are top at the halfway point. Herbstmeister once more. Not bad. It's weird having a Herbstmeister in like mid-January because the midweek English of Ocker was the final round of fixtures of the first half of the Bundesliga season. Uh, he's scoring a goal every hour at the moment. Wild. I quite like doing the doing the games this way with Melbag, yeah, especially because there's so much during the week because you can kind of... Also, the questions just, that come up reflect the intensity of what happened in the matches and they pull, yeah, out, they pull, so, out, yeah, yeah. They pull out their own themes usually. Yeah, yeah. This one from Abbas. At Kev Abbas, shouts to Abbas. He said, Barca Femini have a plus 60 goal difference after 11 games unbeaten in the, in the Primera. And the only game they've not won this season is the Supercopa semi against Atleti. Are they a legit shout for Europe or are they just a big fish in a small pond? This is really interesting, I think, the shape up of the Primera in Spain because Atleti were 
looking like being the dominant force in Spain a few mm. years ago. And actually, I know I've referenced this a couple of times when I went to the Champions League final. That's, this is becoming my, my Brazil story. Wow. Um, I know, right? But the main difference between Lyon and Barcelona at the time was the trajectories yes. in 2019. Yeah. It was basically that Barcelona were eight or nine years behind where Lyon were in, on their timeline. Atleti had just won the league. Tony Duggan, I think, was getting quite frustrated at Barcelona and moved to Atleti. But then Barcelona started to really, they signed really well. I think they signed Cali- Caroline Graham Hansen that season. Oshuala started to emerge as yeah. being a really, really integral part of the front line. And I think they just developed, they just continued, continually developed over that period. And I mean, you saw it last season when they went deep in the Champions League against a much improved Champions League as well. I think this season you'll see it again. I think there are a number of teams in Europe and Wright and I were talking about Chelsea on, on Wright's house about how Chelsea will be looking at the Champions League this season and being like, like Emma Hayes would be like, we really, this is a real opportunity for Chelsea to go deep in the Champions League because Leon are obviously, their unbeaten run came to an end, PSG are emerging really strong. I think it's going to be, I think Barcelona will go, will probably go pretty deep. They, yes, they are a big fish. It's the finishing. But also, the finishing at best. That's my one thing I'll say. At the rarefied atmosphere of the Champions League, you can score in volume in the league, but we saw in the Champions League closing stages, and I know that it's COVID and everything's up in the air, but Barca were not ruthless. And this is what, and I hate, this is why Chelsea are the team because they have the firepower at the decisive, and they, they, they've proven firepower at that elite level. And I, and this is no disrespect to Barca, right? But we saw them last in the Champions League when they needed a goal, they're streaky streaky in the finishing and that's that's not a knock on them because you know there's no shame in that in the, in the late stages but the volume goal scorers they're the ones that came through like the ones and it's, it's, it's a cliche but who showed up in the late stages of the Champions League the ones that we knew could the goal scorers that we were expecting to show up came good mm. and that's the leap for Barcelona and that's why it's hard for me to call it because we need to see we almost need to see more like, because that knockout is a very different. We see it with some, yeah, it gets real. Yeah, it does. It does. Do you know what I mean? And that, and that sounds it sounds harsh to me, but we know they can generate chances. But and this is not to name names, like names of the podcast of players that don't deliver. But um, there were some players in the Barcelona team, and I was like, I was going to say, I was going to say, Longley's not playing in the Women's Champions League. Because <laughs> <laughs> we we know we know what these players are capable of at league level, but in the knockouts, I've just got to see more from them. I think. Mm. Okay, Rhymes with Holmes says, what is the most aesthetically pleasing scoreline? For me, 3-1. Oh, I was going to say 3-2. 3-1 is for me the most pleasing. I mean, looking at it, I think 3-2 is quite pleasing for me because that, that, suggests, that suggests late winner. I love the late clincher though. See, I love, I love the 2-1 where it can go either way and then the team that is slightly superior gets the third goal late, mm. very late. So for me, the 3-1. Because if a team says they've won 3-1, you're like, that was a game. Yeah, it's a good chat. That's just, that's Actually, yeah. Game. I mean, looking at it purely from a num- numerical sense, 3-2 just looks nice. It does look lovely. It's lovely, yeah, yeah. I do, li- I do like a 3-1. Oh dear. Yeah. Clearly not a Warriors fan. <laughs> <laughs> so many shots. <laughs> What's wrong with me today? You know, I, I like it. Keep going. What's, what's that? What's that? What's that meme? You're out of pocket. Keep going. <laughs> this is the one episode that I wish I could edit. 
It would Do be you? Different. Why? Because, because the, you're going so to you're going to leave all the bits that I'm going to edit out. Yeah. yeah, you just came so much heat. When you listen back, you're um, like, wow, yeah, spiky. I was actually talking about you yesterday. I said the best way to keep you down to very efficient talking on the podcast is just to get you to edit one, one episode. <laughs> yes, yeah, true. Oh, God. Uh, this one from John Larkin. Not a question about this week's football, but a serious question nonetheless. Who wins in a game of FIFA between Musa and Ryan? I can answer this. It will be me because I have FIFA and Musa doesn't. Yes, and <laughs> I'm also terrible at those games. I've never been good at them. Yeah. That is not fair. That would be like... I don't know. Be embarrassing. It'd be like saying who would win in a poetry slam between Musa and I. You'd probably win, to be honest. Yeah. You'd probably <laughs> it'd be like, get that pretentious clown off there. <laughs> That's happened before. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I once did a gig. I once did a gig. It's, it's dramatic. I once did a poetry gig. Um, once. At a cabaret night. I know, a cabaret night. Oh, and God. I was, I got up there, I was about to start performing and I looked around and they were not feeling it, like that group in the table in the corner. And I began the opening lines and the guy just yelled, bring out the dancing girls, bring back the dancing girls. Oh no. He was horrified. So I went over to him, took his hat off his head, put it on my head and performed the rest of the gig wearing his hat. <laughs> and then put it back on my head at the end and walked off. <laughs> How did that go down? Everyone loved it. They howled their head. They were howling. They were absolutely howling. Look at you. <laughs> Showman. Never troll a troll. <laughs> Never troll a troll. Uh, let's wrap on this one from Jeremy Lax because I like this question. It's very wholesome. When things return to quote unquote normal, if you were going to a football match on a Saturday in Berlin, what would your day look like? Any pre-match slash post-match rituals slash things you always do? We'd go in the other direction, wouldn't we? Because you'd go to Hertha and I'd go to Union. Uh, would you? I mean, I, I would say you'd normally just go and watch the Unicorns. If I was going to watch um, professional football, I'd be more likely to go to watch Union than Hertha. I mean, as a, as a spectator, I would, I would probably go east. Okay, so it's just, okay, so what my routine be? So my typical routine? The first, the first, sorry, the first arrive is a much better place to watch football than the Olympics. That's true. Do you know what I do then? Okay, so here's my routine. You're right. I'd go, um, my local team is called the Unicorns, SFC Friedrichshain Internationale. Huge bottle of water, I have to say, because, you know, watching these games is thirsty work. I get the bus from my front door to basically the home ground, which is not too far from the actual uh, the stop there. And I always get a pack of cashew nuts. And then there's a, there's a knack and steak. They do a knack and steak actually on the grill after the games, if you're lucky. I tend to turn up either 15 minutes before the game starts or 15 minutes from half time because I, <laughs> I often sleep through. But I make sure I'm always there for the second half of the first half and then the rest of the game. And then we just sit and talk, stand around. And someone, will buy a crate. someone always buys a crate of beer. Andrew normally sorts it out. Andrew Eber, shout out to him, the captain, the coach, the team. Someone normally buys a crate of beer. And we just stand around till 3 p.m. and no one ever wants to leave. And that is mm. normally from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. There's nowhere I'd rather be on a Saturday afternoon of football than hang out with those guys. They're the best. Aww. I mean, my ritual, for example... When I go to uh, Hertha, say for example, it's a three thirty kickoff, which is the usual, the usual times. Have a pretty chilled morning. Now I'm a little bit closer to that side of Berlin than I was previously. It would be quicker for me to get the Ringbahn, and then, but I would always get the S-Bahn that goes through town. I would usually go to Ostkreuz, change at Ostkreuz, and get the S-Bahn that goes through the centre of Berlin because you go through 
Mitter and you go past Museum Island and through Hatbanoff and all of this kind of stuff. And it's just a, it's a nice ride through the city. Mm. And I usually would try and get to games about an hour before kickoff, maybe an hour and 15. Walk around a bit, take some photos, have something to eat, get in my seat nice and early, chill for a bit, have a coffee, chat to Dembo. Yeah, it's the great Dembo. And occasionally I'd bump into like my old neighbor who's a, who was a photographer as well. Just randomly, I bumped into him at a Hertha game in the press in the press room, and I was just like, "Oh, what's up, Tebo?" So yeah, that's kind of my ritual. I, I really miss going to games. That uh, obviously this is like everyone, but and obviously I'm um, in a much in a far more privileged position than fans because I I can still go to games if I apply for them. I haven't been applying for anything outside of Berlin or go into anything outside of Berlin because of COVID. But yeah, I just I really like the ritual of just starting the day knowing that you're going to go to a football match that day. It's just a really nice experience. It's a really nice feeling to wake up to. Can I throw something out there as well on the back of that? I love the word ritual. That's what it is for me. The thing I want to do most, actually, when the stadium opens up, this is a bit of a dream of mine, but I'll speak it into into existence. There's a bunch of Barcelona fans I talked to on Twitter who I love talking to, who I've never met. And I would love when there's a new president and maybe a new coach or whatever, and things are kind of in a different direction. There's a tapas place right near the new camp where people go and eat before games. I'd love to just go there for tapas with a bunch of them. They know who they are. And then mm. go and watch a Barcelona game. So the entire ritual, the match day ritual, being a Barcelona fan in particular, it's so... I've only been to the, you know, the, the new camp once, but that, that whole energy, it's stunning, really. It, it's a, mm. going, to the, going to the new camp is like a mix of like museum, opera house, football stadium like and it's its own town community village you really see and they you know they're, they're amazing barcelona fans on twitter who you know they've been matchgoers for for years on end and for me that that i can't to be honest with you ryan i can't imagine what it's like to have been a barcelona fan in this era or any era frankly because the richness you know we've been to, we've both been to a lot of football grounds the richness of going to the camp now the history that is in every single brick of that stadium is such an unbelievable match-going experience. Like, I'd love to do that again if and when crowds are allowed back fully mm. with, with those Barcelona fans that I talked to and meet them. I think it'd be quite emotional, actually. I think when, when fans return, it's going to be so, so emotional. You know, I mean, in terms of rituals, it's like I would, I would go to a ground, like I was going to Dortmund, for example. I would go two hours earlier than I needed to go in order to walk from the, the, the station to the ground. And there's, you know, there's just this amazing thing where you kind of like, you walk through Dortmund and all of a sudden just out the corner of your eye, you spot a corner of the stadium and then there's just a lot more yellow and black and then all of a sudden you're in it and the noise and the Sioux Tribune is already full and it's, it's I mean, I've talked about the Westfalen and Stadion a million times about being a great place to watch football and it really is a great place to watch football. The thing that I love the most about going to stadiums is the first time you get inside, there's that kind of like slight moment of you can hear it, but you're walking through and then it opens up and everything's there. Very few things have the ability to like charge the air in that way. And I think that that's like going to football grounds or something like that. But yeah. All right, man. Well, let's hope we all get to go to some football soon because God, I miss it. Yeah. yeah. Let's get out of here. Let's do it. We hope everyone's staying safe and well, looking after yourself and each other. Don't forget to check the ringer.com forward slash soccer for my piece that went up this week. Are you doing one next week? Yes, I think I am. Yeah, don't forget you can check us on Twitter at Stadio, at Stadio Football on Instagram. 
And yeah, we're playing out this episode with, with another, another one from William Ollie Abel. I think we played out on one of his before. Uh, this one's called Good Name. Have a lovely weekend, everyone. And we'll be back on Monday. See you then. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.